All semester long, we've been taking a look at the topic of relationships. And we have said that relationships are not just merely like side trimmings when it comes to Christianity. That actually you were made for relationship. Why? Because we have said that you were made in the image of God. Inasmuch as God is a relational being, and He exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and He has for all eternity, that God Himself is community. And that you, as a man or as a woman, have been made in that image, and therefore you bear the mark of relationality, that you were made for other people, and other people were made for you. And so we've been looking at that all semester long. If you'd like to catch up on that, we have a podcast that you can check out as well. But tonight we're going to kind of come to the meat and potatoes, I think, of this series as we take a look at the topic of dating. Now, one of the things I must say is a few caveats before we sort of get going tonight is that when you come to the topic of dating, especially in the Bible, it's real easy to ask, well, what, is, what does the Bible say about dating? And here's the answer for that. It's really simple. It doesn't say a lick about it. So we can go home if you want. Uh, but the point is, is that that doesn't mean that there's nothing that can be said about dating, you see? You see, but I will say this, as a caution to you for the rest of your dating life, if somebody tells you that, there are, that this is the biblical way to date, or here is God's plan for dating, you ought to listen to that very suspiciously, because the Bible just doesn't talk about dating in those ways. Why? Because the institution that we know as dating is a fairly recent phenomenon in Western history, okay? Uh, what would have happened back then if you wanted to get married or if you wanted to date someone, your mom and daddy would have known somebody in your town or village and would have known their parents and, you know, young Ryan, my wife's name's Laura, would have been set up with young Laura at a young age. They would have been married at a certain time and they would have just sort of figured out life together. That's how it would have worked. So we need to understand that we exist with some cultural distance when we think about the idea of dating itself. So anyways, that's a sort of caveat, and what that means as well is tonight, as I'll illustrate, we we will take a look at dating more as one long extended kind of application tonight. There won't be a whole lot of like expounding the text, teaching a whole lot about it, but rather I'd like to show you what Mark says tonight and how that applies very, very importantly and in big ways as we consider the topic of dating. Does that make sense? That's where we're going tonight. Tonight's a little bit unique because of the nature of the topic. So tonight I read a story from, or I read a, a, a quote from, the top, from Mark chapter 12. You heard it with me. We looked at this picture of the fact that like, when Jesus is telling us what the greatest commands are, in sum, it was to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what that means is, is that the whole aim of the Christian's life is to be oriented unto that end. It is the great goal, the great end of our lives, if you are someone who has given your life over to Christ, to love God and to love people. But tonight, we need to consider that great end as it has a bearing on dating itself. And here's what you must see. You must see that what lies at the very heart of the gospel itself is not that you would just stay where you're at. You see, as we say this over and over again in RUF, that the gospel really does tell us that no matter what our life is like, that Jesus comes to us, that He meets us at our worst, He meets us in our most dark moments, but He never ever leaves us there. That by His grace, 
He saves us, and by His grace, He comes to us, and He changes us, and makes us more like Himself. So tonight, as we consider this picture of dating, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes when it says this, Him we proclaim, Colossians chapter 1, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here it is, for what goal, for what purpose, that we may present everyone, here it is, mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me, Paul concludes. You see, what lies at the heart of the gospel is the aim or the goal for maturity. For you and me to grow up into Christ. That means that liars become truth tellers. That folks who run off the mouth of their gossip become folks whose hearts are changed in that way. That you begin to see that Thieves become generous people. That this is what the gospel does, is it matures us. And so tonight, what I'd like to hope to show you is that underneath this heading of dating is to maybe show you six ways that the Bible tells us or understands what maturity in Christ is going to look like as we consider the topic of dating. So, I hope you'll hear this. I hope you hear me saying when I talk about maturity, I don't mean like you need to grow up. And I'm sort of pointing down the finger at you. That's not what I mean. I mean rather, God gives us this picture of what maturity looks like. And therefore, from a Christian world and life view, it gives us a real picture of what faithfulness looks like as we think about our dating relationships. The goal, of course, being loving God and loving others. Here's how I would like to define maturity. I'll put a point on it. It means taking responsibility for yourself and others. And that comes from my former campus minister, a man by the name of John Stone. I'll say it again. That maturity is taking responsibility for yourself and for others. And so therefore, I'd like to show you the first thing that maturity means. The maturity means, first of all, that we have open hands. And by that, here's what I mean. And again, I'm trying to show you this is, these are like six application points. That's what I'm trying to get you to see, Okay. The first thing that maturity means you have open hands. And by that I mean this. That when we date, we don't own the other people. That's stark and strong, Ryan. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's very easy to be in relationships, to be in a dating relationship where we think that the other person, that we own their time, that we own their attention, that we own their affection, that they deserve to give this to us. And actually, that's not true at all. Because what dating is about is, about is about an extended or intense, perhaps, friendship coming alongside, and we don't own each other. I think that's critical, because you think about it like this. I mean, how many times have you heard something like this, that a couple goes to a party, and the, you know, maybe the girl is off talking to her girlfriends and having a great time, and then the guy gets upset because of why? We were there all night, like, you didn't talk to me at all. What was up with that? Well, I'll tell you what was up with that. She doesn't owe you that at all. The picture is, is that if you have the assumption that somebody, that somebody that you own or you have rights over somebody like that, it's just not true at all. And maturity means that you would see that. Now, why is this so important? Because I think, I think that what happens in most of the dating institutions that we're a part of, most of the dating environments that we're a part of, that we are constantly trying to bring things that can only be in marriage into the relationship into dating itself. This idea of covenant, this idea of faithfulness, as it were, that somebody owes something to me. We do it with sex and sexuality as well. 
And the point is that I want you to see is that we must have open hands. That maturity, that's just a moniker for saying we don't own or control other people. And that's so critical. If you begin to think about it, I think that you will see why this is so important. And this means by definition, y'all, listen. That people are free to leave whenever they want. And you are free to leave as well. Again, I'm just trying to give you some principles here. I'm trying to give you some principles to apply as you begin to think about your own relationships and as they move to dating. First being, maturity means having open hands. Secondly, the maturity piece also means that you will begin to deal with the who question. Who question. That means this. You will actually, if you are somebody who follows Jesus, I'm, I'm not talking about those of you who are still considering the truth claims of Christianity. I'm talking about those who have said, I take Christ, I've given my life over to Him. This means that you consider who you date. Now what do I mean by this? It means that you're doing so with the end in mind. The Bible is very, very clear, very, very clear that if you are a Christian, you are not to marry someone that is not a Christian. Let me say that again. In no uncertain terms, the Bible is very clear that if you are a Christian, you are not to marry someone who is not a Christian. And some of you begin to hear that now and you feel just a deep sucker gut punch in your being. Because maybe you've become a Christian and you've been dating someone who's not. And I want you to see that what it means to be a Christian is that your first allegiance is always to Jesus. No matter what. That's the tough call of discipleship that I wish that I could make easier. And why does it have a bearing? Because here... How many of y'all are ready to marry somebody that you don't date? Maybe you're into that arranged marriage thing. But most of you aren't. And therefore that means that you will consider well who it is that you're dating. Now I'm not talking about like going to a date party. That's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the idea of getting to know someone unto the end of getting to know them unto the end that you might marry them. I'm speaking very specifically to Christians. And so the idea here is, first of all, is that you're always wrestling with this question of who, the who question, why. And here's the reason why. This isn't some just arbitrary rule out there that, you know, the Bible just wants to sort of put its thumb on you. No, 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 no. Here's why. Because when you become a Christian, you are saying that what is most central to me is that I identify my life with Jesus. That what is most central to who I am is that man who died and rose again. And what the non-Christian says is, is that is not true of me. That is not something I believe. That is not the most central thing to who I am in my person and in my being. And so therefore, the Christian and the non-Christian, should they attempt to get married, are actually going to move into marriage in such a way where the deepest part of who that person is will never be understood from the other person. So this doesn't mean if you're somebody who is not a Christian or any of your non-Christian friends, that non-Christians are somehow worse off people. That's ridiculous. Or if they're somehow more immoral people. That's ridiculous. No, no, no. It's talking precisely about what most defines you. And that's why the Bible talks about it that way. And therefore, because as we'll see in a moment, because dating and marriage are so intimately connected... It forces you to grow up into Christ and to think about that who question. Thirdly, what does maturity mean? Thirdly, maturity means is that you commit to mature. What does that mean? 
You commit to mature, not the other way around. Let me see if I can explain it like this. How do you actually get this maturity? I think most of us think of something like this. I'll grow up, then I'll be able to commit to someone, whether that is in dating or whether that is in marriage. But I would like to suggest to you that's not how it works. What do I mean? You see, most of us think, well, one of these days I'm going to be ready, as it were, to find a spouse to be able to marry. And I've got to sort of get there. Like, I need to walk this many days, or I need to ascertain this amount of information, or I need to read this many books about dating and marriage, and then I'll finally be ready. And what I would like to show you is that, that that's not how it works. That instead, you're always committing to move into maturity. So we like to think maturity comes before we commit to something. And I'm saying it's the other way around, that we actually mature as a product of our commitment. And why do I think this? Listen, here's why it is. Think about school your freshman year. For many of you, that's currently going on. Many of you have hit a rude awakening because you came to school and you got imposed, what got imposed upon you was your syllabus, your tests, your papers, perhaps subjects that you do not know and understand. And because of the fact that you committed to come to school here, and because of the fact that you committed to take those courses, something is happening in you right this very moment. Do you know what that is? You're actually maturing. You're actually maturing. And it works that way as well with like parent-child relationships. Like what's really amazing is that like Laura and I, when we first had our twins, it was like we had the children and then we were like, okay, I think we might be ready to have kids. (laughs) I think we might be ready now. And the point is, is that it was through that experience of committing ourselves to it that we've become parents. Y'all, y'all track with what I'm getting at? It's the same way, y'all. It's the same way. It's the same way as it were. You're just, you're never ready. Like, what is the bar? Y'all tell me, what is the bar? When are you finally ready? When is finally good enough? Both for marriage and for dating itself. The point is, is that maturity comes out of the product, as it were, before, I mean, for maturity comes out of of commitment. Let me tell you a little bit of a a past story from my life. Before I um, married and was dating Laura, I was dating another girl, and I kept thinking, like, this was a, this, she was very kind. She was a wonderful girl. And, um, and, our, and in some ways, we, we had become good friends. But about, I don't know, a couple months into the relationship, she began to express interest that she was more interested in me than I was in her. And I kept waiting for this feeling to come. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I kept waiting for me to feel something toward her. I don't know, something like like or something like enjoyment or something like delight. I kept waiting for that to come before I could sort of get all in. But she was more mature than I was. I was immature. And I bailed on that relationship precisely because I didn't understand what I'm telling y'all now. You mature after you commit, not the other way around. And I think that's so important. The feelings, look, love is first. This is, I'm talking primarily about marriage. But love is first a commitment. It's love is first an action. And from there, the feelings of love begin to flow. That's very important for our day and age and our generation. In other words, I'll put it this way. Commitment in marriage is the soil for the maturity, not the fruit of it. It's the soil of maturity not the fruit of it. Fourthly, maturity means this. 
It means that you will consider well your sexual ethics. You see, if you're somebody who takes the name of Christianity, that all of your relationships are oriented to what Jesus has spelled out for us, the love of God and the love of neighbor. That means in every single one of your dating relationships, you are dating somebody that will either be your spouse, or if they get married after you break up, somebody else's. Do you see that? Have you ever considered that before? And so it seems to bear well on us that we would think about the idea of how we treat one another, yes, even sexually, in those relationships. Here's one thing that I've actually heard of friends doing before. Sadly, I could not say this for the bulk of my relationships, but listen. I remember friends, like, so I'll take the vantage point of the male, who had gone to the friends, the former boyfriends of their now current spouse. Does that make sense? So former wife, like present wife, wife's former boyfriends. And been able to go to those men and to say thank you. Thank you for caring for my wife. You did not know this then, but you were caring for me as you cared for her. Do we have that concept? Do we have that concept about what love actually looks like? Is to know that this person who you may be going on dates with and you may be in a relationship with may or may not be your spouse. And if they're not, they're likely going to be someone else's. Do you not think that Christian charity, that kindness would demand from us that we would steward well these, these image bearers? And that means to steward well the way that we think about our own bodies. Now listen, this runs right against our culture, does it not? Because we live in a hookup culture. We live in a friends with benefits culture where the idea is, is that who really gives a rip? And this is where I think it's huge. One of the ways that you will know how, 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 how much the gospel has taken root in somebody's life is how they think of their body. It's how they think of their very flesh. Listen to what Steve Garber, he's a writer, he puts it this way. He says this, How do you know how far Christianity has sunk into the heart? You're able to ask this question. Does it affect with what, they, what they do with their body? And I think it's so important, y'all, because we actually think, even in the Christian culture, those of us that would say Christian, we would say this, it's my body, it. I can do with it whatever I want. And here's what the Bible says. You ready? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And the you there is not just the soulish you, it's the integrated flesh and soul you. Your epidermis, while it is you, is not yours. It is a gift to us from our Maker. And it's so critical for us to see that maturity will mean in our relationships that we begin to think well about how we even steward our sexuality. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a couple of weeks and we touch on the topic of sex and sexuality, so I'm not going to keep belaboring this anymore. I'll move fifthly and quickly to the idea of maturity means that we would take our friendships seriously. You can go back and listen to what I've already spoken on, so I'm not going to belabor this point that well, but here's what I mean. 
It means that in your dating relationships, this is what I love to talk to students about. I tell folks this all the time. I ask this question. How well are you becoming friends? Ryan, what do we do? I want to date someone. I don't know what, it's, what I'm supposed to be doing. I say this all the time. Are they your buddy? Are they somebody that you can look at and say, I just have a great time with them. We enjoy each other's company without the like one o'clock makeout session. You see what I'm saying? Like, can y'all actually be friends together? Do you enjoy doing stuff together? Or do you have common interests together? That's what I mean when you can go back and listen to what C.S. Lewis talks about, about friendship being two people walking alongside of each other, saying, in essence, what? You two have this common interest or goal? That's the picture of friendship. And the idea for great relationships is that you would work hard on friendships themselves. And many of you know that you currently are dating folks who you've been friends with for a long time. And you know qualitatively the difference from a relationship that's built on a great friendship and one that's not. Now here's a little, I'm just, this is free. This is free stuff. What that means is this. The people in this room, there are a lot of wonderful people out here and y'all ought to start dating. Do you see what I'm getting at? The point is this. Look, I'm not buying into the southern subculture here, y'all. Listen to me. If you're a girl and you want to ask somebody out, go for it. That is not anti-biblical. That is certainly not anti-biblical. The point is is this. I know so many of y'all, I'm like, yep, you could be dating him, y'all could be dating together, and this would be a magic, this would be a storybook ending. But here's what we do. Listen. We walk into a room. There's 20 people of the opposite sex. And we begin to size people up immediately based on body type and shape, skin skin color, height, or whatever else. And we write off 18 people immediately. And you've just written off the potential for a really profoundly great friendship that could lead to a wonderful dating relationship and even marriage. And that's what I want you to see. The gospel liberates us to live like that. Why? Because it means you without your identity being on the line, if this person says no to you, eventually. The gospel gives us a spine, as it were, and a steel one at that. It gives us courage. It gives us the ability to look at somebody of the opposite sex and say, I enjoy being with you. Would you like to go out on a date? And for you to be able to say, yes, I would. Or you can say this, no, I would not. Thank you for asking. Good friendships lead into that. And it means that taking your friendship seriously is what that looks like. I told you I wouldn't give a labor of the point. Sorry, hobby horse. I'm off of my soapbox now. Lastly, here it is. Maturity means that in the end, you're looking at marriage or you're looking at a breakup. I told you this a couple weeks ago. Every relationship ends in one of two destinations. Either you're going to break up or you get married. And this means, again, I'm going to talk about this more next week. But this means that you would begin to consider now where this bad boy is going. Where is this going? Some of y'all, some of y'all need to consider that. Some of you need to consider it because you, you, you actually need to get married. And you might go, I'm a sophomore in college. My mama would be so upset with me. That's all right. Jesus might be pleased with you. And you can let your mama deal with Jesus. 
You see what I'm saying? And look at the nature and the quality of your relationship. Now I'm going to be sensitive here. And by God's grace, you need to end your relationships. And you know what that's going to feel like? That's going to be hard. And that's going to be really sad. Because maybe you thought this was the person that you might marry, but because of your first allegiance to Jesus, that you now have a different grid work by which you think about these things. And you know what will happen in the midst of your sadness? God will meet you like he always has for all of his people. That God will always be kind to you. And that there in the midst of your sadness, that Jesus will be real. That he will be real for you there. Let me end here because, and I'm taking a moment to do this because I know when we talk about the topic of dating, there are many of us who long to be in relationships that aren't. There are those of us who are in relationships and wish we weren't. And the picture is here is that our, 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 our dating, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, we're, our, the people we talk to or text with or whatever it is, this can bring such sadness and sorrow and pain, perhaps because of past physical relationships sexually. Perhaps you just don't want to be alone and you wonder if you're always going to be because you wonder if these longings to want to be with someone are ever going to be met and fulfilled. And so there's the question of waiting and longing. And the idea is is this. The Gospel reminds us that you are a complete person whether or not you are in a relationship. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. But I will say this, that the Gospel tells us that God is with us in the midst of our sadness. That He's with us in the midst of our sorrow and our shame. And He actually makes a profound promise to us, which is where I started the night. Do you remember what I read from Isaiah chapter 62? The promise of Christianity is that God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, looks at His people, broken and bent, the story and the narrative and the past that we have, and looks at us, like a bride looks at his groom. I have the privileged place of doing weddings. I have the privilege of doing your weddings, but I have the privileged place of doing weddings. And I get to stand as the young bride is coming down the aisle with the vantage point of looking at her and to my left, a young man here, the young bridegroom or the young groom. And it's a wonderful thing when those doors open and the music plays, to watch a muscular, a a strong man begin to weep with joy at his coming bride. And what Isaiah chapter 62 is telling you is this. That's how I am for you. That I rejoice over you as a bride does a... as a bridegroom does his bride... Friends, that's not just something to do with dating. That is what lies at the very heart of the gospel. That God delights to take broken people like you and me and to call them His beloved. We're going to talk more about this in the next couple weeks. I hope you'll come back. Let's pray together. God, thank You for this moment. Thank You for this extended time You've given us to consider 
this topic, I'm sure I've raised a thousand questions and answered about two. And so I pray that you would help my friends tonight where there are questions remaining that they would know that they can meet with me and with Brittany and with Holt to talk about these things. But Lord, apart from us, what the staff might be able to do, would you, by your Spirit, remind us that to date and to date wisely is to be an expression of love for neighbor and love for you. We need to be reminded of that, that our great end, our great goal, our great joy and our great happiness is to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there's real joy as we love one another. So would you help us to do that? Would you help us tonight to begin to consider some of these things if we've never considered them before? And would you remind us of this great gospel promise that you delight to take us to you as your bride, as your people, and you, our great king, our great bridegroom. We lift this all up in your name. Amen.